Oh, where is spring, my furry friend? Don't look at me like that. With your gnashers bare like the naked branches, shrouded in suspense. Ah, the honesty of February. Wretched souls dragging their stiff limbs down the street, unlike summer's posers that merrily tap dance. It wasn't me that declared six more weeks of winter, right after Milltown Mel kicked the can. So why the long face? Is there not a whiff of love in the air? I'm forgetting Ash Wednesday, you say, and how we're all mortals through sin. I too checked the forecast. There'll be no soot plastered to my head in February this year. Not this year. Not this year. Hello, and welcome to the China Podcast. What you heard there was a poem entitled The Honesty of February. It was submitted to us by the legendary Bill Murray, an old friend and patron of the show. And don't be hasty, we don't go hounding him for money. He provides us with content, and that's more than we can ask of him. He's a good egg is our Bill. He is. And he's right. February is a weird month Mm. for many reasons. It's the shortest month of the year, but you know what? It often feels like the longest. And right now in China, it's cold, it's damp, it's kind of miserable. It is. If we're being honest about things. Very few crows about the... That is true, actually, yeah. Um, Nothing quite says misery. Like a few, like yeah. like the crows that you see sitting on the telephone wire in the cold drizzle. Yeah, a murder, a murder of crows. It's the collective noun for a group of crows. That says it all, really. Yeah, um, you don't see so many crows in China all the same. No, but they do exist. Um, they're just not so visible. There's a there's a legend that goes back to the Qing Dynasty of. Um, how crows were worshipped as sacred birds at the Forbidden City in Beijing. The Manchu people who resided there, they used to feed them. Every day, sacrifices were made, usually killing a pig. And any scraps of the animal that weren't eaten, that was mixed with rice, and then they were put in a bucket, which was hung on top of a flagpole for the crows to come and feast. Um, nobody feeds the crows at the Royal Palace anymore. Um, but after 200 years of being fed, they developed the habit of returning to the Forbidden City. Um, and every evening to this day, they still do. And there is reason for worshipping crows too, right? Yeah. Um, it involves a guy called Nurhachi. He's sometimes referred to as Nurhachu. Um, he co-founded the Qing Dynasty. When he served in the military for the Ming Dynasty, his grandfather and his father were accidentally killed. Um, so, fearing a cover-up, um, and he thought he was next. Nurhachi, he fled, and sure enough, a band of Ming soldiers gave chase, and he was exhausted one night, and he stopped to rest by a tree among some reed marshes. And when the soldiers arrived, they found the place covered in crows, and they couldn't see Nurhachi through all the feathers and birds and... So they just continued on with the manhunt. And so his life was inadvertently saved by the crows. According to the legend, yeah. If you want to put it that way. Yeah, according to the legend, the crows saved his life. Um, After he became the first emperor of the Qing dynasty, he then set out the tradition of worshipping crows as sacred birds. 
and he passed it on down to his descendants. Chinese crows, they're lucky sods when you think about it. Um, you know, getting to do their annual migration to places like Sanya. Yeah, and I bet the Irish crows are jealous. Where do you reckon the Irish equivalent of Sanya is? I don't know, Wexford. Yeah, I'd say Tremor or Dingle maybe. Mm, somewhere in the southeast somewhere of the country. Somewhere in the southeast, yeah. Yeah, you know, where it's nice and sunny give ten, her, 10 days a year. Yeah, give or take 20 degrees and some palm trees. Well, you know, global warming, it's alive and kicking. Maybe yeah. someday. No, maybe Who someday knows? soon, yeah. I bet February will still be as cold, though. Yeah, isn't it just as well that China warms up fast? Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't really tease us, though, with, um, you know, with, with summer summer's days here and there. Yeah. Um, you know, before, bam, back to wintry conditions. Yeah, that's how it is in Ireland, folks. Right, today's podcast... Crows all the way. An avian special. 40 minutes of tweeting and birdsong. Well, something is in the air this week, and it's not birds, it's love. Uh, Valentine's Day is almost upon us. One of many in China. Six, to be precise. Yeah, and more on that later. Yeah, we want to approach the whole concept of love in China from a different sort of angle. One that has perhaps been shaped by the kind of society that we see around us. What do Chinese people value in relationships? Are they driven by cultural expectancies? Is Valentine's Day just one big con job? Now granted, there is widespread widespread expressions of genuine intimacy. Of course there is. But there's also a material underbelly. And these are questions which we're going to explore this week Also, green hats and why you should never be seen wearing them in China. Um, But before we do all that, let's just take a few minutes to bring you up to speed with a couple of recent developments. Um, Last week we talked Fight Club. We did, we did. And yeah, and since then the original ending has been restored. Can you believe it? Yeah. And the closing on-screen message scrapped entirely. Keyboard warriors everywhere rejoice. I bet some very, very important individuals were listening to the podcast last week. I can't think of any other explanation. It has to be it. Yeah, it it doesn't happen every day that a decision like that gets overturned. Yeah, it's an awful pity those boys aren't on the VIR panel during Arsenal games. We'd be top of the league. But anyway, there you go. We also witnessed another rarity in the TV world during a scene from Reset, the Chinese drama we discussed last week. Yeah. An on-screen kiss. Did it bring a tear to your eye? I was in shock, mostly. Um, Do you know what it reminded me of? Have you ever seen the film? And I'm conscious now of the fact that we name-drop films on this podcast quite a lot. Yeah, well, people like watching films. I like watching films. This is true, yeah. Um, Have you ever seen the film Cinema Paradiso? I can't. Cinema Paradiso. I know the score. Mm-hmm. I know the score. The Ennio Morricone thing. Yeah. Right. The film itself, I can't remember. I can't remember. I think I've seen it. Mm. It's uh, set in the post-World War II uh, small town, Italy. In Italy, and there's a director in, in it. Sicily, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it follows uh, the life of the, a director from, yeah. from childhood. Yeah. Um, and his experiences working in 
the town's cinema, the yeah, only yeah, cinema yeah, they yeah, had. Yeah. Um, but yeah, see, right, well, there's a scene at the end of the film. Now, spoiler alert, okay? In the scene, the main character of the story returns to his Sicilian hometown from Rome for a funeral uh, in which the man who died leaves him a large collection of film reels that used to belong to the projector at the town's beloved cinema where these two men used used to work together. Um, now, here's the thing about these reels. They were never shown to audiences at the cinema because the local priest had all intimate, suggestive or flirtatious scenes chopped from the film beforehand. Um, What he would do, you see, is he would first have a private sitting and would censor the whole lot. But afterwards, during the main screening, you see all the locals in this packed out cinema sitting on the edge of their seats eagerly anticipating an on-screen kiss and then oh no 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 it's cut and everyone just sits back in their chairs and they despair you know because this was this was set in 1940s 1950s post-war italy um these people they'd never seen a kiss of any nature on a screen before this is what they wanted to see yeah um so in the end the main character of the film has his own private sitting and projects all that banned content onto a wall in his home to sheer delight. Yeah. And the point is, in China, we we get the suggestions and the flirtations, but we seldomly get the kisses. And as for on-screen sex, forget about it. Yeah. All the James Bond films, they were uploaded to the... Chinese TV boxes sometime last year. Um, Now, the thing about Bond films is you see a lot of... They contain a lot of bedroom scenes. Yes, they do. Um, Even going back to the early 60s uh, Bond films. um, Lots going on under the covers. All those scenes in China were axed. And there goes half the film. Yeah. So, no bedroom visuals of a passionate nature allowed here. No, sir. Um, leave all that stuff at the door. Yeah. Not wanted. So, Valentine's Day, or Valentine's Days, because there are six of them in China, February 14th, March 14th, May 20th, Chi Chi Festival, November the 11th, and Lantern Festival. Now, we'll explain their meanings and why they exist as we go deeper into this edition of the podcast. Because we want to work a cultural narrative around each one. And to help show you rather than tell you from the off. Um, But to give you a brief synopsis right now, February the 14th is the Western Valentine's Day, as we all know. Whereas Chi Chi Festival is the Chinese equivalent. March 14th is also known as White Valentine's Day. And exists because when the date is spoken in Mandarin, it sounds similar to saying love you forever. Um, Likewise, May 20th sounds like I love you in Mandarin. And November the 11th is also known as double 11 or singles day. And then we have the Lantern Festival, which is the 15th day of the Lunar New Year. It's next Tuesday. Now, at least three 
of these Valentine's Days revolve around money and material gain. Yeah. You see, gestures of love means splashing the cash, which means big business, particularly in China, due to its sizable market. Um, gift buying as an expression of love is a major part of emerging customs in China these days. So it's almost as if large enterprises have tapped into this and said to their marketing strategy teams, you know what we should do? We should double, if not triple, the number of Valentine's Days so that we can reap the rewards. And everyone in agreement? And everybody nods yes. Yes. Naturally, naturally. And the three dates that specifically fit this narrative are March 14th, May 20th and November 11th. Uh, March 14th, by the way, is perhaps less of a big deal, but the the other two certainly are. Yeah, the March 14th tends to be a bigger deal in, in Japan and Korea. Um, they do it where the men gets present, the man gets presents. Okay. So the woman will buy the man a, a cologne or something like that. Um, yeah. And on these days, it's far less likely that you'll see photos of couples slicing through juicy cuts of steak at a high-end restaurant. Um, but principally, people showing off the expensive gifts that their partners have bought them. Log into your Weibo account on the night of May 20th, or 520, as it's generally called, and you'll see tons of Louis Vuitton designer watches, maybe even a car or two for those who for whom money is no obje- object. Um, something that happens much more regularly than you might think. Would she still love him if the Louis Vuitton was a fake? I don't know. Might depend on how close they are. But the point is, anyway, um, many people have bought into the concept of consumption culture and remember this concept is a relatively new one which has been popularized by a rapidly growing economy massively emerging middle and upper classes as well as swathes of internet users who enjoy sharing their life with their friends and colleagues online and there's a performative element to that too with people playing to the gallery via social media uploads of luxury gifts received um, of course, all aspects of social media are performative, like even before you post something to your circle of friends, you're going to think what it is you want to say and how best you want to word it, um, you know, so that you'll come off looking intelligent or, yeah. or funny or whatever the appeal is that you're trying to push. Um, but with these, let's call them commercial Valentine's Days, there's a definite amplification there of showboating, um, of you know flaunting your wealth, um, which lead many to question the validity of, of these expressions of love. Yeah, some might even call it narcissism. But you do have to wonder, when you take May 20th, for example, which in Mandarin Chinese is Wu Er Ling, um, 520. Uh, in other words, May being the fifth month, and 20 being the day of that month. Now, Wu Erling sounds kind of like what I need, which in English translates to I love you. Now, this Valentine's Day is the classic example of a commercial transaction of love. Somebody not too long ago probably latched onto this idea 
and in the modern internet age the thing just exploded online it's it's common for somebody to transfer 520 un on may 20th to his or her partner as a gesture of their love and they'll decorate the red envelope on wechat with the words what i need yeah they will indeed and we're talking roughly 80 euros or 80 dollars worth but this token of love might be enough to resolve disputes between couples so it's it's quite common for couples to send each other red envelopes on social media on the special days alongside actual physical gifts of course um because you don't want to be you don't want to be seen slacking no you don't no but it all does boil down to the fact that these holidays are heavily promoted um by companies selling selling luxury items to people who despite having become more comfortable with expressions of love they increasingly associate this with spending and consumerism so like you referred to there um when somebody writes i love you on an envelope with a sum of cash inside it and then sends it to their partner you have to ask yourself is there genuine affection behind those words yeah i see two sides to that coin um some people they enjoy the act of ceremony you know whatever or like whether that that be for the right or the wrong reasons um but overall expressions of love or rather not expressing your love is rooted in tradition um you see in china expressions of love have traditionally been subtle and outright declarations avoided uh and this is something that I picked up on after a few months of living here in China. Um, like you rarely hear it anywhere. Mm. Parents hardly ever say it to their children. Um, and this all stems from ancient Chinese literature in that stories of romance seldomly contain the word love. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike something like Jane Austen in the West. Yeah. You know? uh, or that any of that late romantic late 19th century romantic literature yeah Wuthering Heights the whole lot all that yeah Um, so public and direct expressions of love are more recent developments Um, however you know not saying I love you doesn't necessarily mean that love isn't expressed Um, the culture in China has more to do with showing love rather than saying those three little words and then not backing them up through your actions. Yeah, hence the term, actions speak louder than words. In China, the notion that romantic love is the legitimate basis of marriage developed with the cultural transformation after the May 4th movement of 1919. Now, we're not going to get into that because we don't want to stray off point. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, time is of the essence. Um, it's there, you can look it up, but yeah, anyway, um, in this sense, expressions of love are, if you want, something of a revolutionary act. Yeah. Um, over the last two decades, expressions of love, romantic relationships and marriage have indeed become either more accepted or taken for granted. The, the Western version of Valentine's Day only became popular in China in the late 90s and soared alongside a booming economy but not many couples across the country celebrate february the 14th with gestures of love 
and consumer spending. That is reserved mostly for Chishi Festival, which was only rejuvenated as the traditional Chinese Valentine's Day uh, in its current guise a little over a decade ago. Um, and it falls on the seventh day of the seventh lunar month. Um, sadly, it's commonplace on Valentine's Day to see a couple go for a nice meal, sit down opposite each other, order their food, whip out their smartphones, each of them watching different TV shows or a movie and hardly mutter another word to one another for the rest of the night. It's like they just subscribe to these social norms without really investing in why people do this. And one wonders why the divorce rate is so high despite such a massive outpouring of love unlike previous generations. Um, You know, that there speaks volumes, what you just said. Um, Here's a little known fact. In China, after quarantine was lifted, there was a spike in divorce filings. Yeah, you just got sick of her wife or her husband or whatever, trapped in a room with him and never bothered to actually talk to him before. Yeah, Yeah. because most of the time they, they spend... Apart, yeah, most of the at time at work, yeah, see each other at night, yeah. maybe early in the morning, yeah. And yet, if you're divorced and single again, or if you're just young and single, not married, there there's a Valentine's Day for you too. It's called Double Eleven, the eleventh of November, and it's basically a love yourself day. And if you're in the mood for spending lavishly on discounted goods online, it's actually the biggest shopping day of the year in China. It's like Black Friday, except you have to love yourself. And now couples have bought into this too. Where's it going to end? Yeah, Valentine's Day for the digital age, what? Yeah. Um, Yeah, some people even regard September 9th as an important day to mark their love. uh, Mm. Because the number nine represents eternity in traditional Chinese culture. Uh, So yeah, that, that there might be another one we're likely to see in the near future. Yeah, could be worse. You could be walking around on Valentine's Day with a green hat on. Like the Irish team at the opening <laughs> ceremony of the, the Winter Olympics. Yeah, Jesus. I was mortified mm. for them. <laughs> Poor tears. Uh, and you know, it didn't take me long to point out <laughs> their green hats. Yeah. And just yeah. remark, oh, look, they're wearing green hats. Yeah. Now, now, wait a second here. Now, those of you listening who are thinking... These two boys, they're Irish. What's what's the problem with the green hats? We're going to tell you. Um, you should never wear a green hat in China. Yeah, so if you want to avoid public humiliation, please listen up. So in China, wearing a green hat or Dai Lu Mao Tzu, it's a, a cultural faux pas as it symbolizes that your partner has been cheating or doing the dirty on you. Why? Because the phrase sounds similar in Chinese to the Mandarin word for a cuckold. Wearing one out is a bit of a dumb move. And while receiving one for Valentine's Day, that's that's bad news. And like 520 or 520, that's yet another example of just how often language and symbolism are closely intertwined in China. Um, But the story of green hats dates back to both the Tong and Yuan dynasties. Mm -hmm. The first involves a cheating wife. The second, how the relatives of prostitutes were forced to wear green hats. 
Um, so during the Tang Dynasty, that's where we're going to start. Yeah, which it lasted from six eighteen to uh, nine hundred and seven. Yeah, um, there was a scholar by the name of Li Yuan Ming uh, who was married to a beautiful woman called Tsifu. Now Li Yuan Ming was a dedicated literary. And he would spend late nights with his friends composing and debating poetry, which sometimes meant taking business trips for days at a time. Um, Naturally, his wife felt neglected. He was hardly ever there. And it was during one of these occasions when he was away that uh, Li Yuan Ming's wife hooked up with their next door neighbor, um, who was a widowed cloth merchant. At the time, scholars often wore a special type of green hat to state their profession. Um, so to signal to her secret lover that her husband was was out of town, uh, Tsifu would don her husband's green hat and walk outside where she could be seen. This affair went on for some time until one day uh, Li Wenming forgot a volume of his poetry and so returned back home. It was then, of course, that he discovered what was going on. He flipped out, right, making a huge scene that was witnessed by many other neighbours and passers-by. Word of Li Yuanming's shame spread around town, and particularly his wife's usage of her husband's green hat while he was away, yeah. and what it, what it meant she was going to do. Yeah, so the green hat means you're going to get jiggy with the neighbours. Yes. Yeah, so... If you're wearing a green hat, you don't. You're you're getting jiggy with the neighbors, right? Which is bad. And there's another story, and the other story centers around the relatives of prostitutes during the Yuan Dynasty. The Yuan Dynasty was short-lived. Um, that was the Mongolian Dynasty, which was China's first foreign ruling dynasty. Um, during the Yuan Dynasty, prostitution was a, a lucrative business, but in the UN, strict society rules were enforced to identify as one one's status. For male and female prostitutes, this meant wearing a green hat when wandering about the town. And this rule extended to the person's family as well. Um, they also had to wear green hats. And wearing a green hat and what it represents eventually became ingrained in Chinese society. And so it became the norm to never wear them. Um, it's believed that losing one's wife is the worst case scenario for a man, second only to losing one's father. So you might understand the cultural stigma that is attached to it. Not wearing green hats as such, but infidelity. Wearing them will not elicit ridicule and laughter, but a great deal of shame as well. And um, What about the Catholic bishops in China? Like, how do they get on when wearing their green uh, mitres, as their hats are called? Yeah. Um, and bear in mind that China has anywhere between 6 and 12 million Roman Catholics living in the country, um, depending, of course, on which which sources you want to believe. Um, so, yeah, there are plenty of bishops to go around. Uh, so plenty of green hats. Um, or so you would think. Um you know, but that's actually not the case. Mm. 
You see, the stigma surrounding green hats has caused significant unease amongst Chinese Catholic bishops, to the point that they had to compromise by swapping the green hat for a violet one on their coat of arms. Yeah, there is one exception to the rule, the army. Uh, Anyone in the military is required to wear green hats, such as berets, as part of their uniform. So there's no change there. Right, we're coming out of the Lunar New Year holiday and plenty of young single adults have been home to see their families uh, and they've endured a line of questioning. A Spanish Inquisition style of questioning at that. Probably worse. Let's invent a new term. The Chinese Inquisition. Nobody expects the Chinese Inquisition. Sounds about right. It does sound about right, yeah. Um, Yes, and this little fact of Chinese life being the pressure placed upon young people in China to settle down as quickly as possible has given rise to one of those phenomenons that can only exist in a country like China. The hiring of fake boyfriends and girlfriends to take home to meet the family. Yeah, like it, would it not just prolong the inevitable? I imagine so, but it keeps the heat off for another year. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's a good point. And the date for hire apps, they exist in China for this sole purpose. Someone is making money from it. Genius. It is. Uh, and they're actually more widely used than you might think. Being able to show your parents that you are successful and that your life is moving forward swiftly is a huge deal. Although arranged marriages were outlawed in 1950, parents still have a big say in who you should or shouldn't marry. Granted, parents worry about their children, but they also worry about who's going to take care of them when they get old, and also if they'll have any grandchildren that will carry on the family name. Yeah. And fewer millennials are getting married due to the rising cost of living. The The expectancy in modern China to buy a house, to buy a car, to have two or three children, something that the government are now pushing, and we won't get into it, it's a whole other discussion. It's too much for some people. It's just too much. Yeah, that, that and what I personally believe is a greater pursuit of individuality amongst Chinese young people. Yeah, there's that too, yeah. We've, we've also got a huge gender imbalance in China. For every 100 females in China, there are 118 males. Now, if you compare that to the global average of 103 males to 107 females, this is a consequence of the one-child policy. And that existed up until not, not long ago at all. Um, boys were always favoured and girls were far more likely to be aborted. So, in recent years, the Chinese government have stepped in to try and book this trend. They have indeed, yes. Um, First with the two-child policy, and now with the three-child policy, Mm -hmm. which, on the surface, appears to have more to do with a shortage of future labourers. But that's besides the point. Uh, The thing is that China is a different country now than when the one-child policy was rigorously enforced. Uh, rising costs all around make it financially impossible for most to have two or three children. Um, that's just the reality. Yeah. Uh, and this comes back to parents' greatest fears that their adult child won't be able to find a partner. Yeah, 
there are other ways in which this social headache is trying to be reversed. One is the trend of marriage markets across parks in major cities in China, where parents and grandparents, they go to advertise their child's eligibility as a potential spouse to other families and try to arrange meetings between their children. Their main concerns are that their children, if their children haven't found love, either because they're too busy with work or they have no time to date or that they just haven't been successful. Um, But when you think about the concept of a marriage market, it really does highlight that one defining piece of Chinese dating culture, marriage approval. The initial agreement happens between parents and grandparents. The single children or grandchildren, they still have a choice to go through with an arranged date, but ultimately it is the parents and the grandparents who select and decide the date. Ian McKellen turned up at one back in 2016. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the marriage markets, uh, the one in Shanghai actually, at yeah. the People's Park, I believe it's called. Um, he was in China for the Shanghai International Film Festival. And, you know, Ian McKellen is, or he's Sir Ian McKellen, um, remembered famously for his role as Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, yeah, Gandalf yeah. The, the Wizard. Um, he's he's a famously gay man, yeah. um, wonderful, wonderful actor. Um, and he's he's an old guy, he's 70s, he's in his 70s, he's probably yeah. in his 80s now. Yeah. Um, but he was at least in his late 70s back in 2016 yeah. when, he, when he did this. Um, but yeah, he turned up at one of these at a, at a, at a, one of these marriage markets, and he yeah. ha- had made a little kind of placard for himself, yeah. um, which stated his age, um, his university, yeah. and I think the, the fact he had a house in or has had a house or has a house in London, yeah. um, and that he was still active. Yeah, still active. Still active. Yeah. Well, I wonder what he's still looking for someone, looking for a husband, mm-hmm. looking for a husband where yeah. he can't get married. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, uh, Des Bishop, he did. Uh, he was over in China for a couple of years, uh, trying to learn the Chinese language, trying to do stand up. Yeah, um, he's the Irish American. He's um, the yeah comedian, the Irish American comedian, or American Irish comedian. Uh, whatever. We Born want. in America. Born in America, raised in raised in Ireland, culturally Gaelic. Mm-hmm. He learned the language. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he famously learned the Irish language. Um, so people would stop calling him American. Um, and then, <laughs> <laughs> this is the time we just did. Um, good guy, funny guy. Sorry, Des. Yeah, sorry, Des. Um, but he, he was over in Beijing. He was doing the same thing here. He decided that he was going to learn Mandarin and do stand-up in, in Chinese. Um, but he heard through his friend that they about these marriage markets. And he decided to sell himself because he was a single man. And he made a, a life-size cardboard cutout of himself. He did not. He did, yeah. <laughs> you, you see it in the TV show. He's like going through the, the Beijing subway, you know, standing beside a life-size cardboard cutout of himself. Oh, the looks he would have got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then his friend a went... A thousand stairs. A thousand oh. stairs, yeah. And then his friend uh, took the cutout into the into the marriage market to try and sell him. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up getting ran out of the place because they all thought it was a joke. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's marriage markets in China. They're they're real. They exist. Yeah. 
But I think a cardboard cutout though sounds like a very good idea, doesn't you it? Know? It gives an accurate accurate representation yeah. of the person. It's like this, this is, is how tall he is. This is me. I'm six you know? foot two. Stand beside him yeah. there, see if you two look good together. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Take a picture. Yes. Yeah. 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 Maybe if we just walked around China, then we could have a cardboard cutout of ourselves. So whenever, whenever somebody, you know, asks to take a picture of us, you just go, yeah, we're over there, take a picture with that. Yeah. It's something that maybe uh, Li Yuan Ming should have done. Maybe. Back in the day, during the Tang Dynasty. Left it with his wife. Yeah, maybe. She may not have felt neglected. Yeah, she could go up and give it a hug and a kiss whenever she felt lonely. Mm. Yeah, then we wouldn't have to worry you know about what? hats. You know what? That's poking fun at her. I think she was better off I'd without, say him, so. without him. I'd say so. Because he didn't give a toss. No, he didn't. To put it mildly. To put it mildly, yeah. Right, so that was marriage markets. Um, meanwhile, the Communist Youth League in China are overseeing mass blind dating events to help single people find life partners. Authorities not only want young people to get married but they are trying to keep married couples together. Last year, a 30-day cooling-off period for people filing for divorce came into effect. However, the new law provoked a lot of online criticism, especially from women, who fear that it will make it more difficult to leave a broken or abusive marriage. Yeah, and yet none of these policies have really changed anything. Um, marriage rates are still falling. Um, rocketing rates of divorce are still an issue. And perhaps the failure of these policies lie in the fact that none of them truly addressed gender inequality. The fear is that these policies are still entrenched in traditional gender roles and job market discrimination against women, something that's at odds with the the greater sense of individuality. As you mentioned, there are more and more, more and more women might feel like that nowadays. Yeah, and those fears are stoked in the old idea of leftover women, whereby if a woman reaches a certain age, let's say late 20s to early 30s, um, then it is believed by those around her that she must be unfit for marriage. Um, it's a derogatory term and yeah. you know you're thinking 25 to 30 she's still very young it's sad like she's a young adult you hear, you hear these leftover women you see these women and they're like oh I'm a leftover woman and you know they're beautiful young women mm-hmm. with careers and, and they've, they've um, their own ambitions they want to succeed in life on their own terms they're living their life just leave them alone yeah. you know what I mean absolutely like let them be them. That's what I think. And now we have we have upwards of thirty million leftover men. Yes, we do. And that's a big issue. Yeah. Um, so, how to quickly solve a, a gender imbalance and labour shortages? What do you think? Immigration. I think immigration is probably a probably a good way. There'll be plenty of blind dates, arranged dates. And regular dates going on all around the place now on the 14th, I would say. Um, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of more stories like that one in Xi'an that we told you about, yeah. uh, hopefully without the free quarantine. Yeah, it's called Love in the Time of Corona. Yes, it is. Um, okay, we'll leave it there for this week. Um, thank you as ever for listening. We hope you enjoyed that one. 
yeah, keep on liking, keep on subscribing. Have a great week. Take care. Toodles. <笑>其实这样我好多有时候我不想比比我有时候一天都不说一句话我不说话就是骂黑人家我不说话就是没打我晓得嗯没得拿一斤都没打我了所以说社会上的人走了我的路可怜我的意思你不晓得别人是么回